والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا وحبيبنا وشفيعنا وقرة عيوننا محمد صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وأولاده وأزواجه وأتباعه رضوان الله تعالى عليه مجمعين وبعد إن شاء الله تعالى with Allah's will and permission we will continue to read those beautiful sayings of our Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in order which Imam al-Nawawi rahmatullah alayhi put in his magnificent work in his very useful and beautiful book Riyadh al-Salihin and we are now reading from chapter 10 of the book and we have come to hadith number 91 so it takes us like one hadith maximum two if they are short per session and rightly so because we would rather understand these sayings properly contextualize them relate them to our lives than just read through the book quickly and missing some really important life lessons that we can learn from those traditions so this is a traditional circle we have to read those traditions in the original arabic text first okay we read them in arabic first and in that way you can all basically feel and hear what it roughly sounded like at the blessed tongue of our beloved Prophet Muhammad So sometimes it is just useful to hear the Quran or the Hadith being read or recited in its original form but we will of course try to go into understanding these sayings uh, a little bit deeper. So this is Hadith number 5 of this chapter and 91 as I said of the entire book. عن أنس رضي الله عنه أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أخذ سيفا يوم أحد فقال من يأخذ مني هذا فبسطوا أيديهم كل إنسان منهم يقول أنا أنا قال فمن يأخذه بحقه فأحجم القوم فقال أبو دجانة رضي الله عنه أنا أخذه بحقه فأخذه ففلق به هام المشركين رواه مسلم سويت سشود حديث أنس رضي الله تعالى عنه said the messenger of Allah Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam took up a sword on the day of the battle of Uhud and he said who will take this word from me and many of the companions stretched for their hand saying, I, I will take it. Ana, ana, ya Rasulullah, or the Messenger of Allah. And he, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, then said, he, before anyone took it, he changed his statement. Who will take it with its full responsibility? Like, who will take it and fulfill its actual due? After hearing this kind of request, or question, some of the Sahaba hesitated a bit. Okay? So some of the companions hesitated, but Abu Dujana radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he said firmly, I shall take it, or the Messenger of Allah. And he did take it. He took it, and with it, with that sword, he managed to crack the skulls of the pagans, of the mushrikeen, during the Battle of Uhud. Like, afterwards, he uh, basically fought very fiercely in the battle of Uhud and uh, 
fulfilled its due, so to say, of the actual sword that the Prophet ﷺ gave him or offered on the day. Now, this hadith is very short. Obviously, it's part of the story from the Battle of Uhud, which is a really important, we said, like one of the more decisive battles. Not like Badr in Al-Kubra, the great Battle of Badr, which is arguably the most decisive battle in the history of Islam. But this one too is very interesting and very important and uh, vital. And that is why the Holy Quran even mentions it in some actually detail. And likewise, we have, as you can hear now, several traditions, stories that have been narrated to us from those companions of the Prophet ﷺ who took part during that battle. And even yesterday when we had this circle and the day before, we had reference to this very battle and we said, you know, it is very curious for me as a scholar or somebody who reads these traditions and tries to understand them properly and deeply to know whether this particular incident and the one we read yesterday took place when the battle started going wrong for the Muslims, when the Prophet's life was actually now in danger and they began really, you know, seriously worry about his safety, his life. It is important. And my understanding of both uh, traditions is that it seems that that was the case. You know, when arrows were thrown at the Prophet ﷺ and the mushrikeen were getting closer and closer and they were trying to encircle the Prophet ﷺ, you know, like shield him with their hu human bodies. So the Prophet ﷺ did whatever he could to make sure that the bravest of the companions will step up in that battle to fend off the enemy as, you know, like to delay the inevitable or as, as far as they could, as much as they can. So I think both of those uh, are in that actual vein. And I know this is a little bit heavy content, especially regarding the end of the hadith, but we'll try to, you know, uh, interpret it in a way which is absolutely uh, reasonable and understandable to us. So as we always do, we look at the language of every hadith, okay? This is not a very long tradition, and usually when it's a short statement or saying of our beloved Prophet we don't really have many terms uh, to describe, to explain, re related to the language of the hadith. But in this one, actually, there is one or two. Like, always when, when there is a person mentioned and their identity is not revealed, the scholars always try to, you know, at least reveal their identity, try to point who it is. But in this case, Anas radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he mentioned to us who it was, Abu Dujan. And then the scholars obviously give us his full name. His name was Samak ibn Kharsha. That was his name. Uh, so, of course, uh, we learn another name of the Sahabi, isn't it? Like yesterday, we also had a Sahabi who doesn't feature very often, that often like Abu Huraira or like Anasir as a Rawi, or doesn't play an active role in those, let's say, episodes, yeah, events which took place during the lifetime of the Prophet So it's always useful to learn another name of the Sahabi because each one of them, you know, uh, is, is uh, like a mountain. Uh, for us in terms of uh, their dedication, submission to the cause of Allah, their reverence of the Prophet ﷺ, and their own effort yeah, and struggle that they gave uh, to make the word of Allah or to make this religion of Islam succeed 
win. So because of their efforts and heroisms like Abu, Abu Dujana's, you and I can now worship Allah according to the Sharia Islamic law, you know, in, 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 uh, in absolute safety, without any fears or any issues, and in peace. In fact, we don't know when was the last war uh, that Muslims had against some of their enemies. It's been a while now. So I'll try to contextualize, but let's look at the language first. So uh, this hadith, uh, as we said, is, was, it was recorded by Imam Muslim in his Sahih, which means it's a sound tradition, okay? So we don't question at all uh, its authenticity, which is very important. So he included this hadith in, in his book, in the chapter, which talks about the excellence of the Sahaba, the companions of the Prophet And in particular, Abu Dujana, okay? particularly talks about him. Like he, obviously, and other uh, collectors of a hadith, you know, any Sahabi that was praised by the Prophet ﷺ or that showed some very special dedication uh, or made very special kind of personal effort in the cause of Allah, they will include them, isn't it? In sound traditions and they will praise them because we want to emulate their examples and Abu Dujana indeed uh, should be emulated. We'll try to explain how. So the language uh, of this hadith is like, first the name is explained to us. The difficult term, in my opinion, is Ahjam al qawm Okay, in Arabic language, this is not a very uh, common uh, verb that is used, okay, and not very clear in its meaning. But what it means is Tawaqqafu, like they hesitated, because the English translation, of course, explained it to us. But if we said it only in Arabic, maybe sometimes we, we may struggle to understand fully what it meant, and we may then misunderstand its meaning, okay? So uh, this is the first point related to the language we needed to explain. The next one is, وَفَلَقَ بِهِ أَيْ شَقَّ بِهِ شَقَّ بِسَيْفِ Okay, so this one is not as difficult, I have to say, because فَنْفَلَقَ the Quran mentions this term. If you read Surah Shu'ara and other places, uh, right? So this term is a little bit more common, but again you will say here like, yes, like, what does it actually mean in here as well? So it means shakka. Okay? Uh, and this again is like kinaya, isn't it? It's like we don't necessarily want to take this as literally as they translated it in English here. That is why I said it's a little bit heavy. Uh, they actually very, very, very literally translated it like he cracked the skulls and there were a few English people at the back. Uh, they're still there. They immediately turned to me and looked because like, ah, oh, that is a bit like too, too strong yeah, of a language. So what we say in interpretation is, it's not, you know, literally like that. He wasn't literally doing like that. It means like he just put them down. Basically, he managed to uh, finish off, let's say, if we don't want to use any other term, uh, as many uh, or quite many soldiers from the enemy ranks. That's it. It means like he just brought them down. That's what it means. Because in Arabic language, when you say like, you knocked somebody down, basically you can use the head, isn't it? Like boxing, knock out. He won by a knockout. It's like he hit him somewhere in the jaw, somewhere, and he just fell. So he hit him at a very, uh, like he, he used to hit them at a very critical place, which 
gave them a fatal blow, basically. But it doesn't mean that he technically took the sword and he just, you know, split their heads into halves every time. And not like that. Uh, this is my understanding. So it's a figure of speech rather than literally what it meant. Could be that he hit them somewhere in their tummy or somewhere else, but he finished them off. And that's basically what it meant. And that was the haq that the Prophet you know, alluded to, like uh, whoever takes this word will have to basically try to make some difference in the battlefield by at least disabling. And even you can say this doesn't necessarily, because it's a figure of speech, doesn't necessarily mean that he really killed them, like ended their life. It just means like he could have injured them to such a degree that they couldn't carry on fighting anymore. So if you injure your enemy or some of the soldiers, like, you know, like in their leg or hand, and they can no longer carry their weapon or fight you, you've done your job. Like, he's out of the line, you understand, out of the road. Uh, so it could also mean that, that is what the Prophet ﷺ meant, he's like, as, as long as you stop them throwing arrows at me or going after me with their swords or whatever else they threw at the Prophet and tried to basically kill as many as they could, of the Sahaba, is you have done your job, okay? You have fulfilled the haqq of using the sword that, that was held once by the blessed hand of the Prophet So these terms and one more, what does this mean? It means, like I just said to you, uh, again, it's like a figure of speech, really. It means, So it's a very succinct, uh, you know, like, very eloquent, I have to say, phrase that the Prophet, uses, and it's like Quranic, really. And many a time, he would use this in, in his sayings elsewhere for different contexts. So what it really means, as the scholars have explained to us, it means that he would take it and he will fiercely fight against the enemies and will basically fulfill the meaning of true jihad. Okay? It's like the Quran says, it's an imperative. And here we can go on and on and on as to what it exactly means. If you happen to be in actual battlefield and there is a like uh, encounter, of course, uh, nobody will say like it's more meritorious just to you know put your sword back, take a misbah and do dhikr. <laughs> the enemy is approaching; is going to take you off, right? Of course, it's more meritorious that you stand up to the enemy and fight. But what when there is no actual uh, encounter? Okay. <coughs> active battlefield <clears throat> what do you do then there's other forms of jihad which will again you know enable us to reach to the true meaning of this word that we are actually striving with our utmost ability and effort and therefore Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will accept it from us and reward us accordingly so it doesn't always really have to mean that it, it is uh, qital, yeah, the physical fighting jihad is much broader than all right, uh, and we understand that from many different verses in the Quran, and maybe you can say also you can argue, you know, the whole corpus of a hadith, the whole uh, lot of a hadith that mentions these uh, encounters. You can understand that jihad is uh, something bigger than 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 qital. 
apart from these, I don't see anything else difficult, but if you have something you would like me to explain more, I'm more than happy to do that. So what do we learn from this particular hadith? What are the benefits? Fawaid al-hadith, rafad al-hadith. First, the most obvious you know, thing we learn from this hadith, this hadith uh, teaches us, yeah, tells us about the uh, bravery of this particular sahabi, Abu Dujan. So that's the more like the straight lesson, the point that we can deduce and learn from it is like the bravery of Abu Dujan himself and his uh, degree or level of sacrifice uh, in the way of Allah. And you can also add to it his sincerity, okay, his uh, honesty in, 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 in basically uh, striving in the cause of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the Prophet Islam, he asked, who will take this sword from my hand? Everybody wanted, you know, it's a blessing, basically. Anything that the Prophet Islam touched, walked somewhere, for them just to get hold of that, they know it's a huge blessing. But when he added that term, he qualified it more by saying, bihaqqi, ah, the whole challenge changed quite drastically. But Abu Dujana wasn't put off. And that in itself indicates to the sincerity as well as the honesty okay, of his call. Like when he answered the call of jihad, when the Prophet asked them to go out with him during the battle of Uhud, even those people, I had a nice discussion with one of the brothers yesterday, even if there were some among them who, whose intention was not that crystal or pure, <coughs> as they saw how the battle was unfolding, their intentions got purer and purer and purer and they actually offered more, offered more and more and more of their personal sacrifice one such sahabi was Abu Dujan okay and there were many others of course we know many of them fell shuhada <coughs> on that day and we will remember them forever okay <coughs> so this is the first thing we learn it's very <coughs> historic you can say point but this, having said that, the hadith doesn't mean, doesn't tell us that other companions apart from him or most of them were actually not brave on the day. It doesn't point to uh, the callousness of other companions at all. It just means that he, as this whole chapter says, he hesitated the least. <clears throat> or you can say like this, he was the swiftest to live to the challenge. Do you understand? So it's like, the Prophet ﷺ offers a challenge, okay, let's compete in doing something, you know, uh, good, noble. And he puts that challenge in front of his companions, they didn't, you know, waste any time, basically. So Abu Dujana was either very close to him, close to the scene, but not only that, he was very pure in his intention, like we said, and honest to his call and cause, so he grabbed the sword before anyone else could grab it. But probably there were many others who were very eager to, to take the same and would have done equal job, if not better, or some, something similar to what he performed on the day. Okay? So <clears throat> let's not misunderstand the hadith that others were really hesitating in a, in a way that uh, that they withdrew and like, oh, no, 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 no I'm not going to give my life on that day. Many others who didn't take that very sword, they still carried on fighting with their own one that they had in their hand or something else they had, and they also gave their life on the day or, or, or knocked down many of the uh, enemy soldiers. So 
<coughs> as a whole, this hadith and the one we read yesterday also actually points to the bravery of the Prophet's Sahaba companions as a whole. Because it was a very tricky situation basically during the Battle of Uhud, but we know what level of sacrifice they offered. They basically became, uh, you know, like uh, bodily shields for the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. That was how, how, that, that was how difficult it was. And they didn't care, it, it seems like, most of them. They just surrounded the Prophet Sallallahu and they made sure, you know, even though he was injured, we understand, but they wanted to make sure that he will not be fatally injured, like there won't be a fatal blow on him, but they would rather die, you know, in front of his eyes and, and, and sacrifice their own life. And that is how the battle actually went. So, in a way, this hadith also uh, Okay? But why did they then hesitate? How do we reconcile between still believing that they were all brave and good and also earnest to the cause, yeah, and uh, had purity of intention? We say the reason why they waited for a moment and maybe took a bit longer than Abu Dujana was because they were in their head figuring out the actual level and amount of responsibility, the haqq, that the Prophet ﷺ meant by, by his words, man yakhudu bi haqqi, like, who will take it by and fulfill its due. So they started contemplating, what is its due? Does he mean I have to die, you know, fighting with this word in my hand, like fight until I, I'm killed, or fight even if I don't get killed, but I will fight so fiercely like never I did before. So they started, you know, contemplating uh, whether they can take the challenge and then not live up to it if that's a kind of a betrayal to the Prophet's word. So from that angle, some of them maybe didn't offer their hand or grab the sword before Abu Dujan. Whereas Abu Dujan understood the request and the challenge quicker than them. Allah grant somebody's you know, brain works quicker, faster. And likewise, he was fully uh, like, uh, he was quite sure, or let's say, uh, he was quite positive that he will live up to the challenge. Like, he will not fail the Prophet He's like, I'm going to do whatever it takes, even if it means my life. Something like that. And like I said, it doesn't also again exclude that other Sahabas were not willing to give their life. But the other you know, stories tell us that actually many of them did exactly that. And they were. But he just was, you know, quicker than them. And that's why the Hadith is in this chapter. Because the whole point of this chapter is like telling us when there is an opportunity to earn good deed or like to do something noble and charitable or good, we don't hesitate. That's the whole point, like we hasten to do good. That's a second benefit. Okay, so خَوْفًا مِنْهُمْ أَنْ لَا يَسْتَطِيعُ الْوَفَاءَ بِشَرْطِهِ وَحَقِّي Okay, uh, this one and one more benefit. Uh, in this hadith, of course, we understand that the Prophet ﷺ, whenever there was an opportunity, he, he you know, like stepped up the challenge for his Sahaba, for his companions, for his friends. It's like, even when he asked them to go with him during the Battle of Uhud, was like a very heavy call. They obeyed, isn't it? They, they followed him. But as the battle unfolded, he realized there's a critical junction here in the battle. So I'm going to offer a new challenge to them. So it seems like it was uh, the Prophet's way, methodology, okay, to basically intensify in his call 
in his request to the Sahaba to do even more in Allah's cause and they obliged to his requests so even when he asked them for more like who will give a camel and people came forward and gave then he says who will give 10 camels and some people will come and give that and even more like that something like that so this is part of the prophetic sunnah why because he in the end of the day he really wants good for the sahaba and he knows that the more sacrifice they offer at those critical times events they will earn more reward and their efforts okay and their examples will stand and live longer in the history of islam and therefore their efforts you know will be more exemplary and then will be emulated by others so the challenge of abu dujana is still open isn't it and 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 the likes of him so something like that so the prophet was very intelligent and he knew uh, how to uh, appeal to his companions to, to, to even offer more than what they would usually do or otherwise do. So he did basically his role by you know, upping the challenge and making it clear to them, oh, here is a better opportunity of earning good deeds. So who is for it? And they hasten to join in, in the call. Okay, something like that. So uh, these are the benefits. Uh, and likewise, of course, uh, the hadith also tells us, you know, it is our duty, isn't it? Like an obligation if the enemy is, uh, you know, like facing us, chasing us. Uh, it is our duty to stand up to them, isn't it? Like it's not Islamic really. It's not part of, uh, you know, like the, the DNA of Muslims, you know, to be callous. Like to withdraw and turn the back and run away. In fact, the Quran describes that as an enormity, a major sin like running away from the battlefield yeah uh, it's, it's mentioned in surah al-anfal so uh, so it seems like the hadith also here is saying like this is not the time to run away and question your uh, bravery or question your stance and support of this deen this is haq and you are in it so when when the time is dire it seems we have to choose the sides do you understand like and if we chose the side which we know is the right, then it doesn't make sense to withdraw from, from it, to give up. Yeah? It's like carry on, and it seems like if Allah wrote for you a shahada, martyrdom, or something like a kind of injury, or something like that, or loss of material goods, or wealth, or whatever it is, the, the goal and the reward for it is always greater than the loss you may suffer on the way something like that okay so in other words muslims are always brave and they're always were actually historically we know that uh, in facing their enemies and very rarely do we know of examples of battles in the history of islam where muslim soldiers really literally run off run away from the battlefield and completely withdrew and it was a complete disaster or a complete betrayal. Sometimes the enemy did something, you know, to cause havoc, but rarely did it happen, okay? So they, in a way, obliged to the uh, Quranic imperative to, to fight uh, to the true meaning of the word, and especially in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, if you were there to stand by him and to defend him, it means you're defending Allah and his religion and his Rasul, it didn't really make sense to run away. 
it it would be like you can't apprehend it you can't really understand that they would have left him you know uh, but even now in 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 extension after the prophet's demise it seems like whenever there is a call but a proper call to jihad and this is why i said yesterday i don't think so today there's anyone who can legitimate with absolute you know like le- with le- legitimate reason say and stand up and call and say okay it's wajib for us to leave our jobs and join in and fight the enemy of islam there is no such a ruler right now in my opinion nor is there a place in the world where uh, a duty of that nature will 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 be right so Allahu alam things may change uh, i don't know i don't want to predict future but right now i'm not so sure whatever happened like in the last 80 years or so especially in the last uh, 10 20 years i think those were not leg- fully legitimate wars uh, by muslims against whomsoever all right we were not really it wasn't clear who gave the instruction and urged the people to fight non muslims i wasn't clear with it until now i'm not clear with with a couple of recent encounters uh, and it is very very uh, tricky situation so i think it's important for us to underline here yeah this was very clear because the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam asked them to join in jihad but the further away we went from the beginning of islam these battles for and on behalf of islam against the enemy of islam became weaker and weaker uh, not so straightforward okay <clears throat> so therefore if there is a call nowadays from someone and somewhere in the world let's not fool ourselves and become emotional and quickly jump and join and you know give our life something like that so this is what i felt i should say in today's session especially the way the hadith actually ended uh, so i don't want people to misunderstand and think that we are very violent people and you know uh trying to frighten others and 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 look for every excuse and every opportunity to take up the arms and go uh, for 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 a war and and try to shoot at other people and so on and so forth no actually islam is the religion of peace we always offer people the opportunity to embrace islam and i'm very confident myself seeing what's been happening in the last 20 years here in england since i served as a minister of religion I think every non-Muslim is potentially a Muslim with with not even too much effort on our part nowadays with all that is accessible and available from our uh, you know rich and beautiful tradition so <clears throat> I would rather preach with wisdom and have a proper intelligent dialogue with non-Muslims of whatever background they are and tell them about the nature of Islam and the meaning of our religion and all of its beautiful uh, and valuable institutions and principles and in that way win them on our side rather than you know frighten them and scare them or blow myself up or blow something up somewhere where i think that is the approach and the way forward it's it, it's actually counterproductive so let us be very intelligent and wise and careful so that we don't become prey okay to some silly and radical and emotional leader who is very eloquent in preaching <coughs> and he wins us over but rather let's always stay calm as calm as we can and choose the best and most useful tactic in uh, spreading the message of peace really 
and the message of Islam to those who are yet to hear it. أقول قولي هذا واستغفر الله العظيم لي ولكم فاستغفروه إنه هو الغفور الرحيم سبحانك اللهم نستغفرك ونتوب إليك ونصلي ونسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا اللهم انفعنا بما علمتنا وعلمنا ما ينفعنا وزدنا من فضلك وجودك وكرمك علما وتعليما اللهم أغننا بالعلم وزينا بالحلم وأكرمنا بالتقوى وجملنا بالعافية أرحم الراهمين اللهم أصلح لنا ديننا الذي هو عسمة أمرنا وأصلح لنا دنيانا التي فيها معاشنا وأصلح لنا آخرتنا التي فيها معادنا واجعل الحياة زيادة لنا في كل خير واجعل الموت راحة لنا من كل شر يا رب العالمين اللهم ربنا برحمتك نستغيث أصلح لنا شأننا كله ولا تكلنا إلى أنفسنا طرفة عين يا رحيم يا رحمن قلوبنا بين إسبعيك الكريمتين تقلبها كيف تشاء فثبت قلوبنا على دينك وطاعتك ومحبتك ورضاك يا رب العالمين ويا أرحم الراهمين اللهم ربنا آتنا في الدنيا حسنة وفي الآخرة حسنة وقنا عذاب النار وأدخلنا الجنة مع الأبرار يا عزيز يا غفار سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين بسر الفاتحة